families that are traveling right now. They got like sections here where I'm used to seeing whole families sitting that are, that are empty at the moment. It's just a little bit, uh, a little bit different. But I am so glad you're here. Turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to uh, the book of the Gospel of Matthew. I'm sorry. wonderful to sing these Christmas songs every year. I, I really relish the time that we get to do that. I don't know why we don't sing them all year round, as they are full of rich theology, and uh, they are so, so good. But then again, singing them for a few weeks every year also tends to make them very special, don't they? Because we don't sing them all the time, and so perhaps we enjoy them a little bit more because we don't hear them so Anyway, one of my favorites has always been We Three Kings. Now, I'm not sure where we're singing that this year, but you all know this one, right? We three kings of Orient are Bearing gifts we traverse so far Field and fountain more and mountain Follow that yonder star Oh, star of wonder, star of night Star of Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. So in this hymn, we have this biblical account of three wise men who followed the Christmas star to try and find the Messiah. And that was prophesied long ago. So if you found your place now in the Gospel of Matthew, let's turn there to chapter 2 and let's read verses 1 through 12 together, shall we? Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who, was, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. You have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. 
traveling and visiting family. Lord, we pray for just traveling mercies for them. We pray, we pray Lord, that you would grant them a sweet time of fellowship together with family. And now, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your wonderful truth. And Lord, as we hear your message today, we wouldn't just be thinking, boy, I know who he really needs to hear this. But instead, Lord, we would do what you ask us to do of your word every time, which is to first ask, Lord, what would you have me do with this? How should I apply this to my life in a way that would bring you honor and glory? And so that's our heart's desire here today, Lord. Lord, prick our consciences and Lord, open our minds and our hearts to your wonderful truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, who were these wise men that we just read about? Greek word here for these wise men are magi, and the magi were the scholars of the eastern part of the world, and primarily they were from the land of Persia and Babylon and Mesopotamia. And at one time, both of these were, Persia and Babylon, were the greatest empires the world had ever known. And as they would conquer lands, they would take the best and the brightest minds, and then they would assimilate them into their culture. So they would, not only were they very, very advanced as a culture themselves, but they would take the best of whatever land they conquered and take the best and brightest minds and assimilate them into their culture and then take from them the areas where they were uh, had really excelled. And through time, they became very skilled uh, and very proficient in philosophy, in religion, and in science. They were also associated with interpreting dreams and prophesying about future events. You actually may recall hearing about them from our study in the book of Daniel that we've been going through on Sunday nights. This the same group of men, the Magi, these, these biblical scholars, and, uh, not just biblical scholars, but scholars, I should say, scholars of all religion. But their other great fascination was astronomy. They really liked to study the stars, and they were very advanced in studying the stars to know when to plant their crops and the seasons, and they were far ahead of everyone else at that time. And so these men were well-versed in Judaism because, remember, uh, the Babylonians had captured Israel about 700 years before, and that's where Daniel was taking place. And so they knew. They had all the scriptures. They had all of the scrolls. They, they had the Torah. Uh, and then they had the best and brightest of uh, Judaism, you know, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, right? Those, all of those guys were very, very gifted from the Lord. And so they were greatly influenced by Judaism and these scriptures, and, and so seen by the Holy Scriptures themselves, and perhaps even the influence of Daniel and what Daniel accomplished and what he meant to their great empire. We do also know that the Persians and the Babylonians were excellent record keepers, as even today we find very detailed records of almost day-to-day -day life, this is centuries ago, that they would keep meticulous records of. And so through the study of scriptures, they were well acquainted with the prophecies of this coming king, this king who would rule with the scepter over the land of Israel. And they, they watched it carefully and studied it for hundreds of years. And perhaps one of those that they were really most interested in is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 24. So keep your place in Matthew, and let's just take a peek at that one. Genesis 24, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you're starting from the beginning of your Bible, Numbers 24, verse 17. Verse 24, verse 17 reads, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Shem. So we have here the smartest, best educated most biblically informed minds in the world at that time that notice that there's going to be a bright star in the heaven and they're searching the heavens for this bright star. And that would correlate with this coming prophecy of the Messiah. And so they decide to take immediate action for themselves. They finally see this star. Incidentally, many people think what they saw is actually going to be happening tomorrow night. It's called the Christmas stars when, uh, I think it's a Saturn and Jupiter are lined up. Yeah, Saturn and Jupiter, I think, are lined up almost on top of each other, makes this super bright star in the skies. The last time I think it happened was 1226 A.D., and, of course, maybe we're thinking, or a lot of people uh, guesstimate that the first time it happened was here. Now, we don't know if it's that that occurred or if it's another supernatural event that God did, but anyway, I thought I would pass that. So notice here on verse 2 then, their journey, uh, they, they immediately start following this star because they want to meet this king that has been prophesied about centuries before. And so they head off to Jerusalem and they meet King Herod. And the Magi want to know right away where they can worship the king of the Jews who has been born. Where is this king? The star said, the prophecy said that this is where he would now, notice in verse 3 here again, as we read, King Herod was deeply troubled by this, and it says, so is the rest of Jerusalem. Now, the rest of Jerusalem is probably troubled by this because King Herod is troubled by this. And Herod, as we're going to find out later, is troubled for his own evil reasons. Herod was not a nice guy, and uh, matter of fact, he was known for killing off any members of his family that could be a possible succession to the throne. Matter of fact, uh, the Romans had a saying that it was safer to be in, uh, it was safer to say, there was a word in uh, Latin, it was huas, and then there, uh, they have another word, huas was uh, son, and huias is pig, and they would switch those two around, and they were basically saying it was safer to be a pig in Herod's castle than it was to be his own son. And so they were deeply, he was not a nice guy. And so he was deeply disturbed about this news that there's another king that was born that even people from the Far East knew about. And so verse four, he gathers all of his own scholars and his own priests and his scribes to find out where the Messiah was to be born. And they inform him in verse 5 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, isn't it strange, my friends, that a group of wise men from a pagan nation have been studying the scriptures for seven centuries, 
and they are so driven to find and worship this new king that they would embark on a journey halfway around the world to try and find him. While the scholars and the scribes and the chief priests, the people who have been entrusted with understanding, teaching, and keeping the very oracles of God, have not even bothered to look for the signs of his coming. How could that be? How could it be that those who had access to the most important information in their lives, news that would affect the entire world, the coming of the Messiah, would be so apathetic they could really almost care less. They don't seem to be interested at all. And yet they're the ones who are supposed to be the keepers of God's word. They're the ones who have, are supposed to be the most knowledgeable. They're supposed to have the deepest understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, and yet it takes unbelievers from a pagan nation to come all the way to Jerusalem to point out that the Messiah is born. I mean, these are supposedly the most educated, brightest minds on the planet. And then it takes truly wise men, unfortunately, to actually find and share the news. Now, let's not forget, it has been 400 years since the last prophet. And the Israelites are in the promised land that God has promised them, and yet they are being oppressed by the Roman government. And so all that they were looking for for 400 years was the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. And yet, here it is in the scriptures, and they're so completely blind to it. The very people who are responsible for finding that information and sharing it, the supposed best and brightest in the world, do not appear to be very wise at all, do they? And I believe the same is true today. We often hear that science says this, or experts say this, but then when it comes to matters of faith, the world will dismiss those facts as make-believe or fantasy some grand delusion in the hearts of believers. But I want to tell you, my friends, that the wisest men of all are those who are seeking Jesus today. How do I find him? Well, we follow the example here in Scripture. So let's take a look here, beginning in verse 6. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, right, and are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd thing I want you to see is that wise men still find Jesus in the scriptures. Wise men still find Jesus in the scriptures. This quotation in verse 6 is a quote from Micah 5.2, and it's also a partial quote from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. And 2 Samuel chapter 5 gives us a little more detail about this coming Messiah, right? The first part tells us where he'll be born, the second part tells us what he will be like. And so the priests and the scribes and the scholars, they share with the wise men from the scriptures about where to find Jesus. In verse 7 here, Herod secretly then calls in the Magi to determine the exact time the star appeared for them. What he really wants to know is how far he needs to go back to search for when this king was born. How far do I have to go book? go back to look for a male child who is the king that has been born. Is it a matter of months or years since his birth? 
Now remember, these men have been traveling for quite some time. It's not like they hopped on a plane. Or, you know, they're traveling by camel more than likely across the desert. And so it would have taken months and months and months, possibly even over a year to travel that kind of distance. So it's not like today. We often think, oh, okay, well, they heard it, and then they jumped on a plane, they jumped over. But it would have taken them a long time. So he doesn't know how far back he needs to go. So he's asking, well, when, would, when did you see, first see this star, incidentally? And he's trying to get a time frame. Because in his mind, as you would read later in the Gospel of Matthew, he has one mission, and that is to destroy any male child that's born in that time frame. If he can't pinpoint the one exactly that was born, then in King Herod's mind, he'll kill them all. So in verse 8, the king sends them off to Bethlehem with instructions that once they find him, go ahead and let him know. Because he wants to come worship the new king too, which is not true. But the real reason, again, is so he can determine how many male children have been born. He wants to eliminate any chance of them usurping his throne. And so in verse 9, the wise men leave. And just as the scriptures had stated, it leads them to Bethlehem where they find Jesus. Now, might I just add to you all today that if you search the Word of God today, you can still find Jesus. Turn in your Bible, if you would, please. You can keep your place in Matthew. We just want to look at a couple passages here, but look at the Gospel of John. Let me just share a few places where we can easily identify and find Jesus. How about John? 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but what? Have eternal life. What a wonderful truth that is, right? That he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him, Jesus, shall not perish but have Turn to John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus said that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the come, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. What a wonderful promise that is, isn't it? That all who come to Jesus will find him. All who are seeking for him will find him. Jesus will by no means cast them out. Turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me promise that is. Did you notice that he didn't say Jesus is a way? One of many ways? No, he said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then go over to Acts chapter 4, would you? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And again, I'm hoping you're very familiar with these scriptures. These are ones that all of us should know, or at least know where to find them. 
word of God. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. My friends, the wise men today still look for Jesus in his revelation to us. And if you're looking for Jesus, you're still going to find him in the same place that the wise men from the very beginning were looking for Jesus. You're going to find him in the scriptures. Romans 10:17 tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing a message about Christ. That's the gospel. In a world that's filled with competing messages about how to be wise, the wisest of men still seek for truth and find it in God's word. God has provided all you need to come to him by faith and receive everlasting life. And you will not be saved, my friends, by your own standard of righteousness, no matter how good you think you've been. There is no other way than by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross. But sadly, my friends, there are consequences for unbelief as well. Psalm 14.1 tells us, has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Jesus even told us in John 8, 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unfortunately, we don't often talk about that side of the gospel, do we? The, the side of rebelling we always want to encourage each other to receive the truth of God's word. But we often skip over this part about the consequences of not receiving. My friends, I don't want you to be fooled by the fools of this age who claim to be wise. But the real wisdom of God can be found right here in God's revelation to us. And so if you're looking for Jesus, if Jesus is tugging on your heart, if he has pricked your conscience, go no further than the word of God, and you will find Christ in there. So point number one is the wise men today still find Jesus in the scriptures. Now let's look again at our text in Matthew, beginning in verse 10. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Wise men, point number two here, wise men rejoice in the worship of Jesus. Not only do we find Jesus in the scriptures, but the wise men of today still rejoice and worship Jesus. Notice verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why were they rejoicing so exuberantly? Was it just because they saw a new star? No, it's because that star was leading them to the king. It was leading them to the Messiah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They were rejoicing with great joy because they were about to see the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They were about to see Jesus. And so they walked into the home where Jesus was and noticed the very first thing that they did. They 
worshipped him. They fell on their face and they worshipped him. And falling down before him, a small child, they humbled themselves before him and they worshipped him. Now Jesus is under two years of age here. Contrary, I know, to your cartoon versions of the nativity, but he's about two. They're in a house. They're not in the stable. These are some of the smartest, most educated people on the planet. And they are bowing on their face to a two-year-old child. I want you to think about that for just a second. How strange that might seem today. Why would they do that? What would make these very smart people decide that the most important thing they could do at that very moment was worship I believe the answer to that is because they had studied the scriptures and so they knew exactly who he is. They knew who he was. He is indeed the king of kings. He's not a pseudo king like Herod. He's not a fake king. He's not a king in name only. He's the king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he was worthy of all their worship. And my friends, are we as wise as these magi today? we still get excited about the birth of Jesus because of what it has meant for us and for all mankind? Do we get so caught up in the trappings of today that we forget who Jesus is? Do you celebrate with great joy what it means to have God come in the flesh and what it has meant for you in your personal walk with the Lord? I mean, I love all the lights. I love all the decorations. I love every part of Christmas. I love going and getting the tree. I even like sawing it down. I like setting it in the stand. I like watching my wife decorate it. I like all the presents she wraps underneath. I love finding out what we got the kids on Christmas Day. <laughs> I love all the family time that comes together makes this time of year so extra special to me, and I really believe for all of us. But let us be wise men and women also, and remember the true reason that we celebrate Christmas. Let's not get so caught up in what's going on in the world today that we forget put on the flesh of a created being, came in this world to seek and save the lost, which at one time, my friends, was you and I. And he lived a sinless life and then willingly went to the cross to redeem mankind from the bondage that we were in sin, that we had no chance of ever escaping ourselves. There was no other way to satisfy the penalty for our sins because the wages of sin are death. There was no other way to satisfy a just and holy and perfect God than to become the one and only perfect sacrifice 
for all of our sin, past, present, and future. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God, how? In him. See, we, it's called the great exchange, isn't it? He took all of our sin, we take all of his righteousness. He takes all of our sin, which he doesn't deserve because he never sinned, he's sinless. And he bears the penalty for all of that. And in exchange, we are credited with his righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that we are righteous, my friends. We are only righteous in him. We're only righteous because his righteousness is credited to us. He provided the way for all who put their trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins now and forevermore. And he did it all for you. And my friends, if you had been the only person on the planet, he still would have done it all for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he desires you to be saved from the wrath that's sure to come for those who are in stubborn rebellion and who have hardened why it's so important, my friends, even this time of year, that if you have people in your family who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, as uncomfortable as it may be, keep sharing the gospel. Keep sharing the gospel. You never know. I wasn't saved until I was 40. Think how hard my heart would be after 40 years. scales from my eyes. One day, I, I like to, I like to, uh, I like to acquaint it like being in a dark room. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in a dark room and you think you know where everything is and you think that you're in control. And then all of a sudden, the light comes on and you see everything perfectly as it really is. That's what salvation was like for me. One day, groping around in the dark, thinking I was in control. One day the light comes on and I realize I really wasn't. And that the real reality was going on. And I had no idea. Well, my friends, we have great hope because we have Jesus Christ. We have great hope because he's provided the only solution to our sin problem through his death on the cross. Now, I found this illustration on the web. I'm, I'm not sure of its origin, so I'm not sure who a house that caught fire that was called the sailor's home and it was a place that sailors would often stay and people began to assemble and notice that in the upper stories the men were crying out for help and so someone rushed to go get a ladder and when it was raised it was too short to get to the window so a sailor in the crowd climbed up the ladder and balanced himself on the uppermost part of the ladder and then leaned himself forward so he could grab the window where the fire in the building that was on fire. And he said, quick, men, scramble over my body and get down the ladder. And one by one, the men came down until all were saved. Then finally, the sailor pushed himself off and came down the ladder. And his face was badly burned, and his hair was singed, and his fingers were 
placed by the firemen had gone a long way, but before the men could be saved, it needed the length of a man. And that's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. He spanned that gap between God and man. He was born truly God so that he might live a sinless life and completely fulfill the law. But he was born truly God so that he might live a sinless life and completely... Uh, I'm sorry. Born truly God so he could live the sinless life. Born truly man so that he might die. That those who put his trust in him might live. Since the dawn of time, my friends, men have tried to reach God by their own efforts through their own religion and through their good deeds. But their efforts have always fallen woefully short. People need someone who would span the gap, and that's what Jesus did for you and for me when he died on that cross. And that's why wise men, my friends, still rejoice in the worship of Jesus. So point number one, wise men still find Jesus in the scriptures. Wise men still rejoice and worship Jesus. Here's the last point, point number three. And we pick this up in the second half of verse 11 into verse 12. Wise men realize our greatest treasure is Jesus. So verse 11, after coming into the house, they saw the child Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground. They worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod the Magi left for their own country by another way notice in verse 11 here one by one these wise men come up and after they lift themselves up from worshiping rejoicing in the king they now bring their gifts one by one to Jesus and they give him gold gold was a precious metal retains its worth for a very long time, and it's a gift that's fitting a king. It is the gift given to kings. How fitting a treasure for the king of kings. The frankincense was a gift befitting a priest. It was used in the temple worship during the uh, sacrifices were offered. It was a sweet aroma for the Lord. How fitting for our great high priest the author tells us about our great high priest. Keep your place in Matthew, but turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. The author of Hebrews writes here, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That's what our great high priest has done for us. In the Old Testament, they would bring sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice for the covering of sins, but the mere fact that they had to keep bringing sacrifices lets you know that they were 
only covered for a time, right? But when Jesus made his sacrifice, notice how long he lasts for all time. Now, turn back into Hebrews for chapter to chapter 4. Now, you all are very familiar with Hebrews, right? Because we spent about two and a half years or more. I'm not sure how long we spent. Verse by verse through the book, entire book of Hebrews. So you have a good understanding of these passages, I pray. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So they give him gold because he's a great king. And they give him frankincense because spice actually used in embalming, especially with the embalming prophets. And a point of a reminder of the ultimate price, my friends, that would be need to be paid for our sins. Beloved, all these treasured gifts, of all of them, gold, frankincense, myrrh, the greatest treasure is still Jesus. All the things that we consider our greatest treasures pale in comparison to what we have in Jesus. None of the material things that we value here on earth will be brought with us to heaven. Or as Pastor Chuck Colson said, that's why you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. We could never take it with us. All the things that the world tells us are our greatest treasure are actually nothing if you do not have. There's nothing in the world that's of more value than Jesus. There's nothing in the world, no material thing, that we wouldn't gladly cast away to be a child of the king. Nothing you have could ever be more valuable than him. And for all who know him and worship him and call him their savior, he is your greatest treasure. Beloved, it's wonderful to sing these Christmas songs and the Christmas specials depicting the birth of our Savior. We're going to gather again later tonight. We're going to tell the Christmas story, the Advent story, in song and reading of Scripture. As we do every year, I think this is the 18th year. The 18th year we've been doing this. And I love all the faithful hymns, and I love all the joyous times together, but the real truth behind these are rooted in the What we've seen today is that many in the world professing to be wise are foolish. And they are foolish because they believe they can live their life however they like and there are no consequences. And they believe that they can reject Jesus and rebel against him and his word and still get to heaven based on their own merit. But the word of God is very clear about those who are wise and those who are foolish. It's not just knowing about Jesus. Even the demons know about Jesus. They know who he is, but they don't worship him, and they don't call him their savior. King Herod was surrounded by people that supposedly knew all about Jesus. They even were supposed to know when he was supposed to come, 
when he was supposed to arrive, what he would be doing. They knew he would be the Messiah, and yet they didn't care. There wasn't anybody better trained. There wasn't anybody better educated in Judaism than these scribes and scholars and high priests. But they were looking for a different kind of king. They wanted a military ruler. They wanted a military conqueror, not a carpenter's son born in Bethlehem. And yet that is where the scriptures said he would be Wise men knew this, but yet those who were supposedly wise failed to look where God said he would be. My friends, the true wise men of today still find Jesus in the scriptures, just like the Magi did. The true wise men today still rejoice and worship for what Jesus has accomplished on their behalf and for his atoning work on the cross. They humble themselves before him and they worship him in adoration and for the eternal life that they have in him. And the wise men of today still realize that their greatest treasure is found in him, not in the things of this world. So let me ask you, are there any wise men and wise women here today? Those who seek for Jesus in the scriptures, those who humble themselves as they rejoice and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, those who find and cling to the greatest treasure in this life, salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Are you among the wise, my friends? Let me just remind you, Jesus is not looking for those who have the most initials at the end of your name. He's not looking for those that yield the most power. He's not looking for those who have the biggest bank account. He's looking for those who will put their trust in him as their Lord. 10.9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, not you could be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Very clear. It needs to happen. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day you would recognize him as your Lord. You would confess your sins before a holy and righteous, perfect God and understand that because of what he did on the cross, if you put your faith and trust in him, your sins are now forgiven as far as the east is from the west. If you trust that he was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again someday. You've done that in your heart. And my friends, you are a child of the King. And the angels rejoice. I pray if you haven't made that decision that today would be the day that you would do so. Where are all the wise men and women anymore? They are still around him in the scriptures, they rejoice and worship him, and they consider him their greatest treasure. Let's praise you. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again as a reminder of this Christmas text here today. Lord, I pray that this auditorium is filled with wise men and women who have realized the truth of your word. They found and worship at your coming. They've not lost sight, Lord, with all 
focuses on you. And they rejoice and they worship with great joy that you came on this earth to do one thing, to redeem mankind. There was no other way. There is still no other way than faith in you. And Father, I pray that as this group here is together, Lord, again, that all of us realize our greatest treasure is you. These other things are temporal. They'll pass away. in a way that others can see the light of Christ, the gospel light shining in and through us.